Today, I have the pleasure of introducing Jeff Sherwood. He's an elder. This is going to take a second. It's going to take a second. <laughs> Jeff is my elder. There's a couple of things I want to share about our church as we prepare for worship this morning. See, each of the ministries has an elder that spiritually leads and prays and guides us as we do ministry in the church. And our elders are people we should pray for and we should walk with as they guide us. Jeff is the one that has the privilege, maybe not privilege, <laughs> of guiding me. And I'm grateful for Jeff and your leadership. You see, uh, we tend to treat Jeff's name as Jeff Sherwood, as, as a subject, Jeff, a verb, and a modifier. Who's going to build this journey into Christmas set? Jeff Sherwood. <laughs> Who's going to fix the gutters around the church? Jeff Sherwood. Who's going to fix the garments for journey into Christmas? Uh, journey into Christmas. Linda Sherwood. <laughs> Who's going to teach a class for us? Jeff Sherwood. Who will fill in the pulpit? Jeff Sherwood. Who is going to uh, help us prepare future ministers through ordination? Jeff Sherwood. My point in sharing this is that uh, Jeff retired from ministry a long time ago. <laughs> but God will not let him go. And we need to encourage and pray for and thank men like this <laughs> that are willing to step in the gap, prepare and lead our church because he doesn't get paid a dime but I can't wait to see your crown in heaven. Thank you, Jeff. Wow, after that, I better say something good. Linda and I came back. Um, we were on staff here at Grace from 1982 to 1987. Um, I left from here to take a church in Pennsylvania. We were there for 28 years and returned in 2016 uh, to the Dallas area and showed up at Grace the first Sunday we were back and it felt so much like home that we've never left. Um, so thank you for welcoming us back and then for allowing us to have the privilege, literally the privilege, the honor of um, being a part of this church family and serving with the gifts and the talents that God has given us. Now, it's been really hot this past week, in case you hadn't noticed. So I thought that in order to kind of calm everything down, I would begin this morning and tell you a story about snow. It was my senior year of high school, and our youth group from the church was gathering together with other youth groups and going to a place called Word of Life Camp in Scroon Lake, New York. See, somebody knows. <laughs> okay. I grew up on eastern Long Island, Long Island, if you are from that area, um, 100 miles from New York City. Scroon Lake is well over 200 miles north of New York City. And did I tell you it was January? And we're going on a youth group trip for a winter weekend at Scroon Lake. It's a blast. It started to snow on Saturday evening. We're teenagers. This is great. It's snowing. 
So we're out playing in the snow. It snowed all Saturday night. It snowed Sunday morning. It was still snowing. After lunch, we left to return home, which would normally take us about six hours. Now, as another part of that story, the vehicle we were in was an old Volkswagen van. Some of you who might be a little bit older will remember the love bugs that they were called. So we had a lightweight Volkswagen van, seven teenagers, four boys, three girls, and a driver. Fortunately, the driver was an experienced former truck driver. So we're heading down the New York State Thruway, which is the major north south route through the eastern side of New York State, and we get about an hour into our trip, and the state decided to close the throughway because it was impassable. So let me ask you a question. If the throughway is impassable, and now they are diverting all traffic onto the side roads, what condition do you think they're in? Undeterred, we continued our trip. And so as the van would slide off the road, which it did on more than one occasion, the four teenage boys would pile out of the van. It's light enough, we could push it back onto the road and we'd continue on our trip. We'd get to intersections where cars were kind of stuck. You know, they come down this hill, some would come down, they couldn't get out. Four teenage boys, we get out, push those cars out of the way. We didn't take them anywhere, we just got them out of the way, and so we could continue on our trip. Until eventually, even those roads became impassable, and we were stuck. Wasn't our fault. We didn't decide to have all this snow. We didn't make it snow. We didn't decide that we should get off the main roads. But nonetheless, we were stuck. Sometimes in our Christian life, we also get stuck. Not just physically stuck, but spiritually stuck. Our Christian walk becomes, for lack of a better word, stagnant. It's bland, dull, ineffective. And if we're really honest, we wouldn't tell this in public, but if we're honest to ourselves, there are sometimes when our Christian life is boring. We're going through the motions, we're getting by. It's not as if we've lost our salvation. It's not as if we don't care, but we are spiritually spinning our wheels. It's as if our life is stuck on ice and we just can't seem to get any traction. So my question for you this morning is when that happens, How do you move from stuck to starting over? How do you return to being spiritually fresh? Because honestly, at one time or another, all of us have been there. So how do we move from stuck to starting over? If you've got your Bibles with you or your phones or your pads or just want to follow along, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul is on his third missionary journey. He's left Ephesus, he comes to Troas. Troas is a seaport on the Aegean Sea. 
And Paul is there for the express purpose of meeting Timothy, or excuse me, meeting Titus, so that he can find out how the believers in Corinth are doing. Remember, this is the second letter that we have recorded. Paul had already written a previous letter called 1 Corinthians, and if you've read that letter, you realize the Corinthian church was not exactly the most mature church that Paul ministered to. And he had to address a number of significant issues. Then he leaves and he writes back and now he wants to know, how are they responding? How are they doing? And he arrives in Troas, verse 12, chapter two. And when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ and a door was open for me in the Lord, but I had no rest for my spirit not finding Titus, my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went on to Macedonia. Now stop for a minute. Paul describes his situation as having no rest in his spirit. He's agitated, um, maybe a little bit anxious, um, uncertain. Titus wasn't there. He hadn't gotten the word. He really doesn't know how the believers in Corinth are doing. And as a matter of fact, if you go back to chapter 1, Paul has already expressed a great deal of inner turmoil that's occurring in his life. Look in chapter 1 and verse 5. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance. So Paul's already talking about the fact that he's been suffering for Jesus, physically suffering. Verse 9, indeed we have the sentence of death within ourselves so that we don't even trust in ourselves. That is, I'm having a hard time, says Paul, even making a good decision about what's next and where I should go because I'm just feeling overwhelmed with everything that's happening. Chapter 2, verse 4. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Even as I shared with you, says Paul, I was upset within, trying to figure out what's the best wording to use, how how to phrase this, when do I come, who do I send, what's happening? Paul is suffering physically, mentally, and emotionally. And yet when he arrives in Troas, For the gospel, a door of opportunity is opened for him by the Lord. This is something that Paul had anticipated, prayed for. This was his life, to have an opportunity that God opened, says, here, Paul, here you go. Here's an opportunity for you to share the gospel, to help people grow in their walk with the Lord, walk through this door. One would think that Paul would be excited and enthused. But what's he do? I had no rest for my spirit. Titus wasn't there. So I left. Doesn't that seem just a little bit irresponsible and unspiritual? This is the Apostle Paul. Weren't people in need of hearing the gospel? Hadn't God opened the door and the opportunity for Paul to preach? Shouldn't Paul have stayed and been faithful to the need? Paul was stuck. He was confused. He was perplexed. 
He was uncertain. Paul was experiencing what you and I experience because that's real life. We've all been in places where we have been emotionally distraught, confused, uncertain, stuck, if you will. So how do you move from stuck to starting over? What do you do in situations like that to be spiritually refreshed where that inner turmoil and that sense of no rest for your soul becomes rest for your soul and the inner turmoil dissipates? I want to suggest to you this morning three principles that are found in the following verses, verses 14 through 16 of this particular text. Three principles that if we put into practice will help us to move from stuck to starting over. Follow along as I read it through and then we'll go back and look at it. But thanks be to God, says Paul in verse 14, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. For we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death and to the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? Don't miss the small little word that moves from verses 12 and 13 to verse 14, and it's the word but. Because that changes perspective. Despite the circumstances, despite the inner turmoil, despite the uncertainty, says Paul, even in the midst of the stress of life, thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. So I want to suggest to you this morning that the first principle, that when you find yourself spiritually stuck, you're spinning your wheels, you're perplexed and uncertain, is to begin by proclaiming your praise to God. Learning to express thanksgiving in the reality of life, even when it's difficult, is the first step to becoming unstuck. Let me give you an illustration from the book of Acts. Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas have been imprisoned. They've been beaten. Their backs are tattered. Their clothes are torn. Their feet are fastened in stocks. Their future is uncertain. And there's nobody to impress but a bunch of other prisoners. Wouldn't this be an ideal time? Kind of relax a little bit, let your hair down and say, God, I've got a few complaints. I just don't understand. I'm perplexed and I'm uncertain. And I feel like I'm stuck. What do we do? But that's not how Paul and Silas responded, is it? Acts chapter 16 and verse 25, but about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and they were singing hymns of praise to God. Despite being stuck, they were genuinely giving praise to God. Not because they had to, not because so-and-so is watching and they're going to report on us. This was a response to God for who he is in the midst of their uncertainty, their pain, and their suffering. 
Sometimes as believers, we get the feeling, the perspective, the sense that if we really were spiritual, if we were really walking close to Jesus, things would be easier. There really wouldn't be this much difficulty because why would God allow this kind of difficulty to come into my life? And so we think when things are hard, uncertain, disappointing, difficult, if we ignore them and, you know, kind of push them away, we certainly don't want to tell anybody we're feeling that way, it must be our fault and there's a problem with me. The reality is that authentic Christianity, biblical Christianity, feels all the pains of life. Paul knew that. The apostles knew that. The first century believers know that. And in our better moments, we know that. We feel the difficulty of cancer of a family member. We feel the pain of a tragic accident in a family in which someone dies. We feel the pain of a financial reversal. We feel the pain of a rebellious son or daughter. We feel the pain of an unresponsive mate. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. See, even in the midst of those kinds of things, God is worthy of praise for who he is because his character never changes. He never forgets us. He never deserts us. He sovereignly works in our lives and our circumstances to accomplish his perfect will. He's passionate about us. He delights in us. But you know what? He's even more passionate about his glory. And sometimes... God is most glorified when we struggle because it puts us in greater dependence upon him. It causes us to delve deeper into knowing who he is. Paul consistently through this letter, this very personal letter of 2 Corinthians, contrasts this theme of hardship with thanksgiving. It's almost as if they're juxtaposed one against the other. Look in chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians so that you can kind of see this again, how Paul lays this out. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 8. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus. Paul is perplexed, he's uncertain, he's afflicted, he's going through some incredibly difficult times. But notice what he says when he gets to verse 15. For all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Who is the one, do you suppose, in this verse that's giving thanks that bounds to the glory of God? Well, I think there are two aspects to that. I think it's the people who have received the grace, but I think it's Paul who, in the midst of his perplexity and uncertainty and difficulty and disappointment, is seeing God work. And so he gives thanks to God. 
even in the midst of the struggles, even in the midst of the hardship, the goal is to cause thanksgiving to abound to God. Look in chapter 9. He does the same thing. Chapter 9 and verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. There were people in need, people responded to that need and helped these folks and encouraged them on their way, which resulted in thanksgivings to God. The struggle that people had as people came alongside to help produced thanksgiving to God. Praise, proclaiming God's praise for who he is and what he does enables us not only to stay fresh, but it's the first step in moving from stuck to starting over. I want to show you how incredibly crucial thanksgiving is to our daily Christian walk by looking in Romans chapter 1. This particular text is used, rightly so, to demonstrate what God has done to reveal his character so that people are without excuse. Verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. That is, God has revealed enough of who he is his character, his ability, his power. They're understood through what has been made so that people are without excuse. Now, people may say God doesn't exist, but the Bible is saying that's not an excuse. God has revealed enough of his character so they have no excuse. So how do people respond to God's revelation of his character? Look at verse 21. For even though they knew God, okay, they reckon these, the folks to whom Paul is writing in his day and age recognize there is a God. God does exist. But they did not honor him as God or what? Give thanks. They didn't worship and they weren't thankful. They knew God existed They knew he was the creator, but instead of bowing before him, they didn't, and they didn't give thanks. What happens as a result of their failure to worship God and give thanks? Notice the text. They became futile in their speculations. That is, they tried to figure it out on their own, and that ended up in futility. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures, and therefore God gave them over. Once people stop worshiping God and giving thanks, it's all downhill from there. Their thinking became confused. Their wisdom was irrational. And their actions were immoral. And so God said, okay, fine. If you don't want to recognize me, 
I'll let you try to figure it out on your own. And it all started because of a failure to be thankful. Well, if a failure to give thanks creates a downward spiral, what do you suppose happens when you give thanks? How about a whirlwind upward? A whirlwind upward. When we're in relationship with God and the life of the Spirit is in us, then praise and thanksgiving and joy is the natural outcome. You know you are spiritually fresh when praise characterizes your heart, your mind, and your lips. And if you find yourself growing stale, spinning your wheels, stuck, think about who God is, how God acts, what he's done, his character, his attributes, and begin to verbalize thanks for who he is. Never miss an opportunity to give God praise. Be more thankful. Put it another way, be intentional in giving thanks to God. Put into practice what you know. That's what Paul did here in 2 Corinthians. He said, but thanks be to God. In the midst of this, in the midst of my perplexity and uncertainty and disappointment and hardship, I want to give praise to God because he's worthy of that. That's how I'll move from being stuck, if you will, to starting over. Praise helps us get back on track to being spiritually fresh. Or as Nehemiah told the nation of Israel, who was struggling deeply, who had conflict within, had animosity from without, as they were struggling to rebuild the wall in the city of Jerusalem, Nehemiah set aside a spectacular, he said, this is a holy day, I want you to really celebrate this and celebrate who God is. Why? Because the joy of the Lord will be your strength. What's going to enable you to continue on this task? The joy that God gives as you give him praise, as you celebrate who he is and as you worship him. You want to move from stuck to starting over? You want to stay fresh? Proclaim your praise to God. Why? Because he always leads us in triumph in Christ. Principle number two, remember your triumph. Remember your triumph. To triumph literally means to conquer. It means to overcome. It means to win. Interestingly enough, this specific word is used only one other time in the New Testament. Let me read it to you. Colossians chapter 2. Verse 14, excuse me, verse 15. What Jesus Christ, having been nailed to the cross, the end of verse 14, when he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through Christ. What Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross was triumphant. What Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross was to disarm, to strip away the power and the authority of the rulers. And he's not talking about physical rulers, the kings of the earth. He's talking about the spiritual realm. 
He disarmed them. He stripped them of any authority to rule in your life. And that victory has been won by virtue of what Jesus accomplished in his death and resurrection. It's his triumph. So that Jesus could say to the disciples, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it because it's his church and he's building it. So we could say to the believers in Rome, in Romans chapter 16 and verse 20, I will soon crush Satan under your feet. Or he could say to the believers to whom he wrote in Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, he has rendered powerless him who had the power of death. And he says again to the Roman believers in Romans chapter 8 and verse 37, we overwhelmingly conquer through him. Because of what he accomplished, we participate in his triumph. Sure, we'll suffer setbacks. Sure, we'll be discouraged. Sure, we'll get stuck and have disappointments. But our ultimate triumph is absolutely certain. Because it's not dependent on us. It's dependent on Jesus. What do you do then? If you know that you're always being led in triumph, what do you do? Follow. Follow Jesus. Remain faithful. Even when it's hard, even when you don't feel like it, even when it's struggle, keep serving, keep sharing. Don't quit. This picture, this picture of this triumphal entry really comes alive if you know the cultural setting to whom Paul wrote. Because it was used outside of Scripture to refer to a triumphal parade for a Roman general when he had won a significant victory for the Roman Empire. And he, when he would return, they would have what you and I would call a ticker tape parade. It would be as if the team had won the World Series or the Super Bowl, and so everybody comes out to celebrate. And here's what it looked like. This is the picture of this triumphal parade that takes place for this Roman general. Right up in front are all the officials and the politicians. Why? They hadn't done a thing. They stayed home. The army was out fighting. The army was suffering. But the politicians and the senators are out front. Why? Because that's always the way it is. It was there then. It is now. It's an opportunity for a photo op. Look at us. That's another message for another time. Second in line were the trumpeters. They are heralding the victory of the general. We would call that in our day and age the marching band. Following the marching band are the spoils of war, the trinkets, the gold, the jewelry, the garments, all the things that had been captured by the army. We'd call those the floats in the parade. Look at all the beauty that's here. Following that are the captives. They are all in chains. Why? Because they're either being led to death or to slavery. Following them are more musicians, more marching bands. Following them are the priests from the temples who are waving their incense censers. And so the air is filling with this fragrance of whatever perfume they may be using in those censers. Following them is the victorious general. He gets to breathe in this fragrance because he's won the victory. Following him is his family. And finally, at the very end of the parade, is the victorious army. 
and they are dressed in their royal blues. They are in full, beautiful armor, singing their triumphal song as they march through the city. And this is the picture that Paul has in mind when he says Christ always leads us in triumph. He sees the conquering Christ marching in triumph throughout the world of which Paul and all the believers are part of that triumphant conquering army. It's a triumph that nothing can stop because Christ always leads us in triumph. How often are we being led in triumph? Always. When we're stuck and when we're unstuck. (laughs) We're always being led in triumph. It's his triumph. When Christ leads, there is an unquestionable triumph. He will build his church and we will reach glory. Let me give you one other illustration because I love this story. Philippians, Paul's again in prison, seemed to be a common occurrence in his life. And he says in verse 12, Philippians chapter one, I want you to know, brethren, that my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. What circumstances? My imprisonment, he says in verse 13. Now, why would someone say that his imprisonment is cause for the greater progress of the gospel? Well, he tells us. Because Christ has become well-known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard and to everyone else. Because here's what happened. Paul was in prison. Nero, the emperor, knew that prison doors had been opened before for Paul in the middle of the night, and they just kind of walked out. So he said, wait a minute. I'm going to prevent that from happening, and I'm going to have two of my premier guards be with Paul every hour. So for six to eight hour shifts, there were two guards who would be there with Paul while he was chained. What do you think Paul did while those two guards who could not escape, who were not allowed to leave, talk about a captive audience? He shared the gospel. As a result, the gospel became known throughout the whole Praetorian Guard. Ray Stedman, the late Ray Stedman, passed away a number of years ago, wrote a little paperback book entitled Authentic Christianity. And in that, he describes this situation, and I love this description, so I'm gonna share it with you. Stedman says, anyone who can read between the lines will see what's happening here. It's clear that the Lord Jesus, in his role as king of the earth, has appointed Nero to be the chairman for the evangelization of the Roman Empire. Nero doesn't know this, but emperors seldom know what's going on in their empire. No human mind would have conceived of this unique approach to get to the very heart of the empire. So when missionaries are in prison today, is God still leading them in triumph? When faithful believers are struck with a debilitating disease or tragedy, is God still leading them in triumph? 
When inner turmoil and uncertainty and disappointment come into our lives, are we still being led in triumph? When you faithfully serve year after year with little fruit, are you still being led in triumph? Yes, yes, and yes. I mentored a young man in Pennsylvania who was incarcerated for 18 months in the county prison. He was convinced it was unjust and unfair and why am I here and how come God let this happen? There were all sorts of circumstances that were involved in that. The reality of the fact was he was convicted and he was placed in prison. So when I would go to visit him, inevitably the first question was why am I here and what's the point? I knew him well enough that I could say, you're here to honor Jesus. You're here to speak with folks who will listen to no one else. You're here to be salt and light in a dark place. You may not know the full reason why until you reach the other side of glory, but you're here to walk with Jesus because you're being led in triumph. We're always being led in triumph in Christ. You want to move from stuck to starting over? Verbalize your praise, remember your triumph, and finally, recognize your influence. Look at the text again in 2 Corinthians. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. As we are led in triumph in Christ, the aroma of the knowledge of Christ is spread wherever we go. Paul clearly implies that the Christian life is a fragrance both to God and to man. It's reminiscent of the Old Testament sacrifices. The act of obedience on behalf of the believers in the Old Testament, when they offered those sacrifices, it says there was a pleasant aroma that went into the halls of heaven. God was pleased with that fragrance, their obedience. And even when we're stuck, as we continue to follow Jesus, there's an aroma, there's a fragrance that goes out from us that pleases God. It simply flows out of who we are in Christ. As a handyman, I am often in the Ace Hardware store on the northwest corner of Beltline Road and Coit in Richardson. They have a popcorn machine in that store. All I have to do is open the door of my car. And before I'm even out of the car, if the door's in the front of that hardware store open, I know if the popcorn machine is working. There is an incredible fragrance and aroma. And you either love popcorn or you don't like popcorn. But the fragrance is still there. Paul says there's a fragrance, there's an aroma that goes out from us that from some who respond negatively, they don't like it. There will be some who respond positively because they receive the gospel. They get the words of encouragement. They hear your prayers. There's an aroma that goes out from us. The fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved. To some, it's an aroma of death because they reject it. To some, it's an aroma of life because they receive it. 
So Paul says at the end, so who's adequate for this? Who in the world can give God praise that, that is due him? Who in the world can remember their triumph in the midst of the disappointments and struggles and hardships of life? And who thinks they have a fragrant aroma every time they're living? Who's adequate for this? It's interesting that Paul really doesn't answer that question until he gets to chapter three, so that's your homework assignment. Because ultimately he says, we are not adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God. The ministry of the Holy Spirit in us makes us adequate. Sometimes we try to give God praise, remember our triumph, and create an aroma in our own power and ability. And it's no wonder we're stuck. Because our adequacy comes completely from the Lord. He makes us adequate to do this. So here's my takeaway for this morning. How do you move from stuck to starting over? How do you stay spiritually fresh? One, proclaim praise to God for who he is. Daily, enthusiastically, thoughtfully. Praise is both a means of Getting out of being stuck, it's also a thermometer of our spiritual temperature. Praise indicates how well we're walking in the Spirit, who alone makes us adequate. Two, remember that you're always being led in triumph. Where we are now is not the end, it's the process, and the process has value. That's why James can say, count it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various disappointments, trials, difficulties in life because the end result matters. You are being led in triumph. God has already won the victory over sin and Satan in the world. And as you focus on your triumph on, in Christ, you'll begin to live that way because as we think, that's how we act. Proclaim your praise, remember your triumph, and finally recognize your influence. What you do matters. What you do matters in your neighborhood, matters in your family, matters in the workplace, matters in the church, matters in the world. Because coming from us as Christ leads us in triumph is a fragrant aroma that's pleasing to God. You do make a difference. God is at work even in the midst of the unexplainable difficulties. Thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. More importantly, thank you for your word and the ministry of the Spirit. Remind us today who we are in Christ, that our adequacy is from you, and may all of us be better at giving you praise and honoring you. In Jesus' name, amen.